Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm Mark Levin, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I believe I know why you tune into this program, because you may learn something different, something substantive. Uh, and I think uh, that's what I try and do here. I'm going to get into all these other things that are going on. But first, we need to know more about our country. When you were in school, those of you who are younger, did you ever read Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address? I'm assuming you haven't. Well, you know, June 11, 1925 was when my father was born, 95 years ago. Today is the anniversary of his birthday. And he left quite a legacy behind. He was a huge fan of Abraham Lincoln's. And he was repulsed by slavery, and he was repulsed by segregation, and he was repulsed by racism, as has our entire family been from day one. And that's why he wrote and illustrated books about Lincoln in the Civil War. I want you to listen to Abraham's second inaugural address, but first I want to read you the foreword from his book, Malice Toward None. And these books were really written for young people. But it's important to know your history because while your country's being trashed, there's so many great aspects to American history. In November 1864, Abraham Lincoln won a resounding electoral victory over Democrat George McClellan, who he had removed a few years earlier as Major General of the Union Army. Although McClellan was popular with the troops, Lincoln lost trust in McClellan due to his indecisiveness and at times defiance. 
Lincoln's re-election, initially in some doubt, was improved significantly by a number of Union battlefield victories in the late summer of 1864. Especially the Battle of Atlanta and the March to, to the Sea, led by Major General William Tecumseh Sherman. On March 4, 1865, at his second inauguration, and on a day that began with miserable weather and heavy rain, Lincoln gave what many, including Lincoln himself, consider his greatest speech. Yes, even more profound than the Gettysburg Address. It was a speech delivered as the Civil War seemed to be coming to a close, with important victories in South and North Carolina, as well as Virginia, among other places. Indeed, 36 days later, Confederate General Robert E. Lee would surrender at Appomattox Courthouse on April 9, 1865. And tragically, 41 days after his second inauguration, Lincoln would be assassinated by John Wilkes Booth on April 14, 1865. Booth, along with other conspirators, was among the onlookers in the crowd that inauguration day. Also present and listening attentively to Lincoln's speech was Frederick Douglass. The former slave was a courageous and outspoken leader of the abolitionist movement. Douglass was originally skeptical of Lincoln's commitment to ending slavery, but after their meetings and Lincoln's issuance of the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1, 1863, freeing the slaves, that, among other things, Douglass became an admirer. Douglass also attended the inauguration reception, the White House, of that evening, but was initially prevented from entering the East Room by policemen. He pushed his way past them and was quickly noticed by Lincoln. And as Douglas recounted, Lincoln called out, Here comes my friend, Douglas. Lincoln shook Douglas's hand and said, Douglas, I saw you in the crowd today listening to my inaugural address. There's no man's opinion that I value more than yours. What do you think of it? Douglas recounts, I said, Mr. Lincoln, it was a sacred effort. And it was the last time Douglas would see Lincoln alive. And a sacred effort it was. On so many levels, as my dad writes, Lincoln's second inaugural address is among the most impressive of all speeches delivered by history's great statesmen. Although a mere 703 words, 703 words and 7 minutes in duration, not much longer than the 270-word Gettysburg Address, and the second shortest inauguration speech of any president bar George Washington's second inaugural speech, Lincoln could have claimed vindication or gloated about the Union's all but certain triumph, as so many political demagogues would have. In fact, the speech is devoid of the kind of endless personal references to self familiar in the prose of modern presidents. Nor did Lincoln set forth a long list of specific tasks confronting the nation, an attempt to rally the people to their discharge, as many had expected. Instead, as at Gettysburg, Lincoln delivered the ideal speech, a speech where every word was carefully chosen, every sentence carefully structured. It was a tour de force, not only in its precision, but in, more important, for its message of tolerance and reconciliation. Its purpose was to address war-weary Americans and lay the foundation for peace. Lincoln knew well that every corner of the country had been impacted by the war. 
The casualties were unimaginable with hundreds of thousands dead. Post-war reconstruction would be an incredibly difficult and complex test involving the restoration of the economy, rebuilding cities and towns, assimilating regions, promoting racial harmony, caring for the maimed and the widows, legal and constitutional challenges, and so much more. Although Lincoln would not live to lead the reconstruction efforts, the spirit and direction of his intentions could not have been clear. They were best exemplified by these magnificent and most memorable words. With malice toward none, with charity for all. During the course of the war, Lincoln was known to pray frequently, seeking strength from God and his hand in guidance. Some noted, including Frederick Douglass, that Lincoln's speech seemed fashioned after a sermon. In fact, nearly half of the speech invokes references to God or Scripture. Lincoln spoke of, quote, the woe due to those by whom the offense of slavery came. He observed that both Northern and Southerners read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each evokes him, uh, his aid against the other. The prayers of both could not be answered, he said. Lincoln proclaimed that American slavery was a blight that God, quote, now wills to remove, unquote, and despite the toll and lives and treasure, quote, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, unquote. If there was ever any doubt that the Civil War was fought not only to maintain the Union, but in the end to drive the horror of slavery from the land, there was no more. It's reported by numerous reliable observers that when Lincoln began his second inaugural address, the stormy weather clouds of that day gave way to the light of a shining sun. It's an image that underscores Lincoln's exceptionality. He was not only an extraordinary president, but a remarkable man whose wisdom will continue to span generations. Jack Levin. What did Lincoln say on March 4, 1865, in his second inaugural address, which is not taught in school, which is not taught in college, which is not discussed in the newsrooms around America, the NFL, the NBA, ESPN, Hollywood, and all the rest? Here's what he said. Fellow countrymen, at this second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there's less occasion for an extended address than there was at the first. Then in a statement somewhat in detail of a course to be pursued, seemed fitting and proper. Now at the expiration of four years, during which public declarations have been constantly called forth on every point and phase of the great contest, which still absorbs the attention and grosses the energies of the nation. Little that is new could be presented. The progress of our arms, upon which all else chiefly depends, is as well known to the public as to myself. And it is, I trust, reasonably satisfactory and encouraging to all. With high hope for the future, no prediction in regard to it is ventured. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, All thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it. All sought to avert it. While the inauguration address was being delivered from this place, devoted altogether to saving the Union without war, insurgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it without war, seeking to dissolve the Union and divide effects by negotiation. Both parties deprecated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive. 
And the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves. Not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union, even by war. While the government claimed no right to do more than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude of the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and prayed to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Quote, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be the offenses come. But woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war, as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, He's talking about the Bible and the Jews. So still it must be said, quote, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. Faith, God's will, unity, harmony, peace. This was the commander-in-chief of the Civil War on the Union side where the casualties were unimaginable. Every household in the nation was affected. And what does he propose? What does he urge? Harmony. Unity. Peace. You hear nothing about the framers, nothing about the founders and how they were slave owners. You hear nothing about the imperfections of our founding principles. You hear nothing about 
fundamentally transforming our economic system. Abraham Lincoln wasn't interested in destroying the country. He was interested in upholding it. He wanted to destroy slavery and keep the Union. I'll be right back. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. The greatest emancipator in America's relatively short history was Abraham Lincoln. Called the great emancipator, but the greatest emancipator. There's no individual in this country's history, no other group of individuals in this country's history, who did more to ensure the liberty of more people in this country than Abraham Lincoln. We don't celebrate his birthday anymore. I'm all for Martin Luther King's birthday being a national holiday. That's certainly not my point. My point is we don't celebrate Lincoln's birthday anymore. In our middle schools and high schools, we don't teach Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War. When I hear these new self-proclaimed civil rights leaders like Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James and Steph Curry and Greg Popovich and uh, Shannon Sharp and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden, I know these are people who are unknowledgeable, are unencumbered with any serious substantive knowledge about the Civil War, about Lincoln, and about the founding. For all of them, the world began last week. And it's too damn bad. I want to talk more about this when we return. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. They call him Mr. Right, Mr. Conservative, and Mr. Constitution. But you can call him Mark at 877-381-3811. More of your history which will not be discussed. You know, it's amazing and a, and a very sad thing that we have more television channels than ever before. We have television networks, we have cable TV, satellite TV, more opportunities for the American people to be informed than ever before, and you're not. You're not informed. That is, you may be informed, but you're not provided with information. In fact, you're provided with lies and platitudes. And it's a damn shame. The IQ of most news hosts and journalists is very low. Their interest in facts and history is almost non-existent. We're getting lectures from athletes. I don't know, were they star students? Were they experts in history? They tell us our history. What history are they talking about? Individuals in Hollywood who, who majored in drama... These are the people who are telling us our history. Back on June 29, 2011, in the Weekly Standard, John McCormick wrote a piece, and I'm citing this because it's a nice, concise piece, entitled, Lincoln Said It Best, The Founding Fathers Opposed Slavery. And I know none of you have ever heard about this. This isn't a rewrite of history. The founders put slavery on the path to ultimate extinction, Abraham Lincoln said. But the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, which was a compromise, threatened to bring about slavery's resurgence by opening up new territories to slave owning. In 1854, Lincoln made this argument in a series of speeches on behalf of candidates opposed to the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Quote, in these addresses, Lincoln set forth the themes that he would carry into the presidency six years later, writes Princeton's James M. McPherson, a Pulitzer Prize winner, serious one. In the battle cry of freedom, McPherson summarized Lincoln's argument as follows. The Founding Fathers said Lincoln had opposed slavery. They adopted a Declaration of Independence that pronounced all men created equal. They enacted the Northwest Ordinances of 1787, banning slavery from the vast Northwest Territory. To be sure, many of the Founders owned slaves, but they asserted their hostility to slavery in principle while tolerating it temporarily, as they hoped, in practice. That was why they did not mention the word slave or slavery in the Constitution but referred only to persons held to service. Thus the thing is, this is Lincoln, thus the thing is hid away, uh, excuse me, this is McPherson, thus the thing is hid away in the Constitution. 
Lincoln said, just as an afflicted man hides away in a wen or a cancer which he dares not cut out at once, lest he bleed to death. Lincoln. Let me start this again. Lincoln. Thus the thing is hid away, meaning slavery, in the Constitution, just as an afflicted man hides away a wen or a cancer, which he dares not cut out at once, lest he bleed to death, with the promise, nevertheless, that the cutting may begin at the end of a given time. Now the first step was to prevent the spread of this cancer, writes McPherson, which the fathers took with the Northwest Ordinance, the prohibition of African slave trade in 1807, and the Missouri Compromise Restriction of 1820. The second was to begin a process of gradual emancipation, which the generation of the fathers had accomplished in the states north of Maryland. There have been pockets of slavery in the north, which were slowly but but certainly eliminated. Here's what Lincoln said to the Founding Fathers in his 1854 Peoria, Illinois speech. The argument of necessity was the only argument they ever admitted in favor of slavery, and so far, and so far only as it carried them, did they ever go. They found the institution existing among us, which they could not help, and they cast blame upon the British king for having permitted its introduction. This is Lincoln. Before the Constitution, they prohibit its introduction into the Northwestern Territory, the only country we own, then free from it. At the framing and adoption of the Constitution, they forbore to so much as mentioning the word slave or slavery in the whole instrument. In the provision for the recovery of fugitives, the slave is spoken of as a person held to service or labor. In that prohibiting the abolition, of the African slave trade for 20 years. That trade is spoken of as the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit. These are the only provisions, just as an inflicted man hides away a wen or a cancer, which he dares not cut out at once, lest he bleed to death, with the promise, nevertheless, that the cutting may begin at the end of a given time. Less than this our fathers could not do, and now more they would not do. Necessity drove them so far and farther they would not go. But this isn't all. The earliest Congress under the Constitution took the same view of slavery. They hedged and hemmed it into the narrowest limits of necessity. In 1794 they prohibited an outgoing slave trade, that is, the taking of slaves from the United States to sell. In 1798, they prohibited the bringing of slaves from Africa into the Mississippi Territory, this territory then compromising what are now the states of Mississippi and Alabama. This was 10 years before they had the authority to do the same thing as to the states existing at the adoption of the Constitution. In 1800, they prohibited American citizens from trading in slaves between foreign countries, as, for instance, from Africa to Brazil. In 1803, this is all Lincoln, I'm sure he'd be called now a white supremacist. In 1803, they passed a law in aid of one or two state laws in restraint of the internal slave trade. In 1807, in apparent hot haste, they passed the law nearly a year in advance to take effect the first day of 1808. The very first day the Constitution would permit prohibiting the African slave trade by heavy pecuniary and corporal penalties. In 1820, finding these provisions ineffectual, they declared the trade piracy and annexed to it 
the extreme penalty of death. While all this was passing in the general government, five or six of the original slave states had adopted systems of gradual emancipation, and by which the institution was rapidly becoming extinct within these limits. Again, this is Lincoln in his Kansas speech. Thus we see, he said, the plain, unmistakable spirit of the age towards slavery was hostility to the principle and toleration only by necessity. Now, John McCormick, then of the Weekly Standard, points out that in Lincoln's famous 1860 Cooper Union speech, he noted that of the 39 framers of the Constitution, 22 of the 39 had voted on the question of banning slavery in the new territories. 20 of the 22 voted to ban it. Well, another one of the Constitution's framers, George Washington, signed into law legislation enforcing the Northwest Ordinance that banned slavery in the Northwest Territories. At Cooper Union, Lincoln also quoted Thomas Jefferson, who had argued in favor of Virginia emancipation, that is, Virginia emancipating the slaves. Quote, it is still in our power to direct the process of emancipation and deportation peaceably and in such slow degrees as that the evil will wear off insensibly. To be sure, the Founding Fathers weren't abolitionists, but they were overwhelmingly anti-slavery. John McCormick, the Weekly Standard, and that was June 29, 2011. Now that history is real history, and it was provided in numerous debates and speeches by Abraham Lincoln. the greatest civil rights leader in American history. He didn't want to destroy the country. He didn't want to destroy the economy. He didn't want to destroy the Constitution. He used the Constitution. He used the Declaration. Now compare him to any of the current people that we're supposed to look up to when it comes to the issue of race. Abraham Lincoln would never have said that Americans are systemically racist. He would never have said such a thing. He said the opposite. That Americans are a great people. He said the opposite. What we're hearing today is people who will do little, if anything, effective, serious, long-lasting about the improvement of our country, our neighborhoods but they improve their own image in the culture that exists today, which is a very superficial and weak culture. I'll give you a perfect example. We have a Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. She's not interested in uniting the country. She's interested in the opposite. So what did she announce the other day? She insists that 11 Confederate figures on display in statutes, in statutes, in statuary hall, be removed. Eleven Confederate figures. I think to myself, first of all, I didn't even know there were eleven Confederate figures in statuary hall. But Nancy Pelosi knew. She's known for 30 years. Chuck Schumer knew. He's known for 30 years. 
Why in the last 24 to 48 hours does she insist on removing these Confederate figures that are on display? Why not six months ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago? You see, they would have us judge the Founding Fathers, but they would never have us judge them. That is Pelosi. So she's calling on the Senate to join her. The Republican Senate, and I can assure you they will. Because the Republican senators are scared. They don't know how to talk about history. Here's the thing. There was a time, you know, when Nancy Pelosi was the speaker the first time around and Harry Reid was the Democrat majority leader in the Senate and Barack Obama was president of the United States. Three Democrats. Why didn't they remove the 11 Confederate statues, Mr. Producer? Nothing could have stopped them. Why didn't they remove them? Because they're opportunistic. These various ships, some of whom are apparently named after Confederate figures, there's a demand now that the names of these ships be changed. Why now? Why not before Donald Trump was president of the United States? The eight years of Obama-Biden. Has anybody asked Obama? No, of course not. Donald Trump's the outsider. He just showed up in town pretty much. These people have been around forever. Forever. We have military forts. Really a handful of them named after Confederate generals. Nobody thinks of Fort Bragg as being named after a Confederate general, particularly the men and women who have served at Fort Bragg for so many decades. But we're told it's time to purify, it's time to cleanse and change the names. General David Petraeus, who's been in the military a very, very long time, all of a sudden, a few days ago, he said, yes, we should. First time I've ever heard him say that. Bill Clinton was president for eight years. Al Gore was his vice president. They did nothing. Again, Obama, our first black president, and Biden, president and vice president for eight years, did nothing. We had a period in our relatively recent history where the Democrats controlled the House of Representatives for like 40 or 45 years straight. They did nothing. But today it's a big deal and it needs to be done immediately. Right now. Right before the general election with Donald Trump. Or you're a racist. Because, as it goes, there's no justification for any of this. All over the country, all over the country, people are committing vandalism by tearing down statues, including tearing down statues of an abolitionist, a hero, in Philadelphia. They don't even know what they're tearing down. Or desecrating a monument to black Union soldiers in Boston. Because the system has to be destroyed. People are not to be educated about American history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, when you go to Eastern Europe, when you go to Germany, 
You know what they have in many of these places, Mr. Producer? Nazi concentration camps. That have not been bulldozed. Do you know why they haven't been bulldozed? Because there's a saying among Jews. Never forget and never again. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. There's a very odd mantra out there. Is Trump the president who can unite us? Let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. You saw what the Obama law enforcement and intelligence departments and units did to the president of the United States. You watch how the media treat the president of the United States. You see how he was impeached based on a phony allegation. You hear what Biden says, and we'll talk about this later, that Trump's going to steal the election. You see the president's opponents in the media. You see them in, uh, in, in athletics. You see them in Hollywood. You see the vile, nasty things they say on regular TV, on The View, and so forth. And then they ask you, do you think the president can unite us? This is what we're faced with. A mob in the media. A mob in academia. A mob in the culture and entertainment. And then they want to know if he can unite us. As they try to destroy us as a nation. You know, as my my father was an author, and he particularly was interested in young people. And this is the anniversary of uh, his date of birth. His book, Our Police, which was his last book, is a beautiful, beautiful book. If you have children, you know, up to the age of seven, eight, nine, I want to recommend you go to Amazon and get a copy because they need to know. They need to know how wonderful the vast majority of our police are. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. It looks like in Seattle, Washington, ladies and gentlemen, six blocks are now occupied. Sort of a Jonestown. There's a Jonestown in Seattle. When you consider the amount of violence that the hard left is involved in here, really embraced, tolerated, appeased by the Democrats and the media, it's really quite shocking. You're seeing totalitarianism. That's what you're seeing. And you're hearing from people in the culture, whether they're wealthy athletes, wealthy actors and actresses, wealthy media members, wealthy politicians, encouraging the violent overthrow of the country either by their silence and acquiescence or full-throated support. Gone are the days of free speech and freedom of the press. And I would remind Fredo Cuomo, he's a lawyer, I guess, on CNN. Where does it say that people must protest peacefully? It's called the First Amendment, peaceably assemble, peaceably assemble. doesn't say assemble and throw Molotov cocktails. Mr. President, how can the nation unite around you? But his enemies don't want the nation to unite around him unless it's his undoing. That's been the problem since he decided to run for office. But I'll ask a different question. How can the nation unite around Joe Biden? Is he a force for unity? Some of the things he said. But before I do that, I want you to listen to something. We spent the first hour talking about Abraham Lincoln. In his second inaugural speech, it was all about harmony, unity, peace, reconciliation, reconstruction. When you have a media that collectively our propagandists for anarchism for fundamental transformation when you have a media that truly hates the country as the modern media surely does I'm sorry I can give you a chapter and verse on it if you don't agree with me how can we ever unite these are propagandists and demagogues I want you to listen to this montage by the Great Grabian site. You're going to hear people who are on TV. You're going to hear anchor people. Ali Velshi, Don Lemon, Alison Camerata, Brooke Baldwin, Chris Cuomo. You're going to hear regular guests. Eddie Glauday, Donnie Douche, Jane Fonda, Mitch Landrew, Dr. Jennifer Harvey, and Robin D'Angelo. And I want you to think about Lincoln's words. And then the question, will Donald Trump unite us? How can he unite us? He's such a divisive figure. This is your media. Cut six, go. 
Well, if you think you're not racist, you could be right. But in this day and age, that's simply not good enough. What I did wrong in 2016 is I overestimated white people. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. Those white guys, those middle-aged, boring, nerdy-looking white guys. And white people have been probably woefully late to this conversation. But I'm not willing to let white voters off the hook. Do you believe that, that, that white folks actually care about ra racial injustice? It doesn't appear that we do. I mean, the status quo of our society is racism, and it's comfortable for white people. Well, because we're white, we have, we have had privilege, even the poorest of us. I sit here as a privileged white woman. I cannot imagine, but I appreciate you educating us. It's very hard to talk about the issue of race. White people particularly don't know how to do it. Well, I call it white mansplaining us. This idea that white people are objective on racism, which is outrageous. We are the least objective. The most dangerous kind of white privilege is to think that we can sit this justice struggle out. It's critical for, for white people, for people uh, in general, to, to stop denying their their racist ideas. That's why it's time to check our bias at the door and lean into the discomfort that is necessary for real change. The heartbeat of racism itself is denial, and the sound of that heartbeat is, I'm not racist. It is incumbent upon people who hold the power in this society to help to do that, to do the heavy lifting. And guess who that is? Who is that, Chris? White people. This kind of racism and bigotry just casually spoken is really is so poisonous and cancerous it's just really shocking absolutely shocking the media are the enemy of the people this media certainly Craig Melvin is an African American he works for NBC he's on the Today Show and Tim Scott as you know is a senator from South Carolina who's also an African American and he's playing a very important role, apparently, I don't know the outcomes, with the Senate and the Senate Republicans and the administration on issues related to uh, police departments and so forth in this country. And I want you to listen to Craig Melvin on the Today Show. Hat tip newsbusters. Cut seven. Go. You have faced a fair amount of criticism, especially over the past few days, uh, because you are the, the only black. And let me tell you what he said. He's under attack by the left and the Democrats on the Internet who are viciously attacking this man because he's a Republican and an African-American. And you know what's interesting? That used to be the status quo. That used to be the status quo. But now, you must be an Uncle Tom or something, hanging out with all these white racists. Tell me, ladies, is this a unifying discussion that the media and the Democrats are having with us right now? Is this how you unify the country? Embrace their, their propaganda, their demagoguery, and then embrace their economic, democratic socialism solutions, and then we can all unite, you see, but we can't. When you're ideologues and you have very little brain power on the left, the revolution can never end. The revolution never ends. Because you can't make that which is imperfect, the human being, perfect. You can make them better, but you can't make them perfect. But this is one of the things Marx and Engels wrote about. 
He didn't like these halfway communists. He would call them halfway utopians, socialists, democratic socialists, if you will. He says they're bigger enemies, bigger enemies than the feudal lords, than the capitalists and everything else. Because they water down the revolution. And so you can't water down the revolution. We must have equality. What does that mean? What does that mean? Even in societies which are relatively homogeneous, you have differences among people. Whether it's wealth, whether it's, whether it's physical differences, intelligence differences, they're differences. You're an individual human being. So you can't have pure equality, and yet this can be exploited by the Marxists and the anarchists and by the, the faux civil rights leaders and the media types. Anyway, listen to this uh, with respect to, uh, he's talking to Tim Scott. Go ahead. Senator, uh, some have said that your party is using you. They've even thrown around the word uh, token as well. So you can't win. So here is Tim Scott, an African-American Republican senator. And his colleagues are looking to him for his experiences to assist them. And now he's a token. The way they trash Clarence Thomas. The way they trash Ben Carson. If you're a successful African American and you're not part of the left, you're not part of the Democrat Party. See, they don't want to unite. They want to destroy. Character assassinate. Then you're a token. There's never a token liberal Democrat. No, 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 no. Here you have a man, Tim Scott, who actually thinks for himself. Can't have that. Go ahead. Response to that criticism. Well, I am also the only person in my conference who's been racially profiled driving while black. I'm the only one in my conference that's stopped seven times in one year as an elected official, perhaps the only one in my conference wearing this Senate pin that was stopped from coming into the building. So if there's someone in the conference who understands discrimination and profiling, it's me. That all may be true, but I think that's a very weak response. There's no defense of the Republican Party in the history of the Republican Party. There's no defense of liberty and the Declaration and the Constitution. I don't disagree with his portrayal of his own experiences. But believe it or not, it's broader than that. It's broader than that. But he didn't say it. Maybe he doesn't believe it. But I suspect he does. Because otherwise, why be a Republican? I want to turn to Joe Biden. He wants to be your president. He's a comic book figure. He's an embarrassment. The Democrat Party has done the nation a grave disservice. His background of 36 years in the Senate is a disgusting hodgepodge of self-serving legislation and promotion. He's an unaccomplished vice president. And he can barely complete a sentence, even with notes. 
as if that's, oh, that's Joe, that's Lunch Bucket Joe. No, that's a problem. The 25th Amendment exists for people who become incapacitated while president. It's not for people who are elected incapacitated in the first instance. Now, first, I want to begin with this. Here's Joe Biden during the confirmation process for Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 1993. He's praising a group, Daughters of the Confederacy. Cut one, go. The senator made a very moving and eloquent speech as a son of the Confederacy, acknowledging that it was time to change and yield to a position that Senator... Carol Mosley Braun raised on the floor of the Senate not granting a federal charter to a organization made up of many fine people who continue to display the Confederate flag. An organization made of many fine people who continue to display the Confederate flag. Can you imagine if they had a 1993 video of Donald Trump saying that? Donald Trump has never said anything like that. They keep talking about Charlottesville. He was talking of fine people at Charlottesville, not fine neo-Nazis, not fine Klansmen. Some fine people who were there who were saying, look, don't pull down these statues. We need to keep our history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We need to learn from this. No, 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 you don't understand, Mark. He was endorsing the neo-Nazis and the Klansmen. Yeah, that's right. The first president with a Jewish daughter, Jewish son-in-law, and Jewish grandchildren is endorsing the Klan and the neo-Nazis. Everybody knew that, right, America? I mean, you really have to turn off your brain to embrace what the left-wing media is spewing. But here we have Joe Biden. Many fine people who continue to display the Confederate flag. Hey, what do you think about that, LeBron? Does that upset you? Steph Curry? Hollywood? What do you think about that? No, that's Joe. You know, that's 1993. Well, you're going all the way back to uh, the 1700s. What's wrong with 1993? There's more. In a piece that was in the Washington Examiner, June 12, 2019, just a year ago, Democrat... 2020 presidential candidate Joe Biden once voted to restore the U.S. citizenship of Confederate President Jefferson Davis. I wouldn't have voted for that. The former vice president was a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee that unanimously approved a bill in 1977. The measure was sent to the full Senate, where it was approved without dissent and later signed into law by Jimmy Carter. Carter, a Democrat. The Democrats had a massive majority in the Senate, massive majority in the House. Well, Mark's Republicans voted for it, too. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the man who's going around talking about systemic racism, how he's going to unite the country, who's trying to paint Trump as some kind of racist when Trump clearly is not. But what about Joe Biden? Joe Biden in 1977 voted for citizenship for Jefferson Davis. Anybody have a problem with it? I'll go on. Washington Examiner. Joe Biden, who last week blasted President Trump 
of her protest to bring down a statue of Robert E. Lee, this is the Charlottesville period, voted to restore the Confederate general's citizenship early in his Senate career. Is there a member of the Confederacy government that Joe Biden didn't vote to give citizenship to? 1975, Biden joined a unanimous Senate to restore citizenship to Lee, who, of course, headed the forces of the Confederacy, even though he was first asked to head the forces of the Union. Now, I understand why they did this. But we're not allowed to understand it today. You're not allowed to put anything in context. So there's no context. So the same rules that apply to everybody else have to apply to Biden because they're making the rules. So Biden, just for the record, voted for citizenship for Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, and Robert E. Lee, the general in charge of Confederate forces, and praised the fine people who continue to display the Confederate flag. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. How much time do I have, Rich? Not enough. Only one minute. Well, Joe Biden says that uh, the President of the United States either wants to steal the election or the military may have to remove him from office. I guess I'm getting old. I'm only 62. But I remember a day when if a presidential candidate said something like that, the public and the press would come down on his head like a ton of bricks. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the rhetoric is so completely out of hand and out of control. The diabolical actions to try and prevent Trump's campaign from even succeeding, then as president, to try and remove him, then his impeachment. Now this. This is a movement by Democrats for Democrats and it is a movement that is inspired in large part in the goal to destroy Donald Trump. More when I return. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. 
Mark Levin, America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now, 877-381-3811. We've talked a lot about why the Media Research Center is essential in the fight against the liberal media. Just makes sense that they're, the, that they're also the lead effort to expose and fight the censorship of conservatives online with their MRC Tech Watch department. MRC Tech Watch monitors Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google, and others every day and exposes their efforts to censor conservative content. And right now, in an election year, there's an effort underway to kick the president off social media completely. Talk about rigging the election. Learn more about the MRC and MRC Tech Watch at mrclevin.org, mrclevin.org. Just one example of the importance of this great organization happened recently. When President Trump signed his recent executive order to hit back at big tech's anti-conservative bias, he cited the work of MRC Tech Watch during the Oval Office signing ceremony. There are only a handful of conservative organizations that have a real impact every day in the fight to save our country, and the MRC is one of them. What would we do without the Media Research Center today? I'm telling you. Go to mrclevin.org, mrclevin.org to learn more about this fantastic group. That's mrclevin.org. I want you to listen to Joe Biden in Philadelphia and tell me if he's the man around whom the nation can unite. Cut three. Excuse me. Cut two. Cut two. Go. Here's the point about the soul of America. This president, from the very beginning, from the moment he came down that escalator in his golden building, what did he start off saying? I'm going to see to it that we get rid of all those Mexican rapists. That's the first thing he talked about. Secondly, what did he do? He decided that he was going to pit us against one another based on race. When you saw those people in Charlottesville coming out of the fields carrying those torches, their veins, is, they're bulgy and screeching that anti-Semitic hate and bile saying, using the same phrases used in Germany. Let, let, let's just stop a second. This is what's called a demagogue. Trump never embraced any of these people. He never has. Trump never embraced these neo-Nazis and these Klansmen. I went through this at the time. I've gone through it repeatedly. I've gone through the transcript with you. We've read it word by word. You have... Liars like Jake Tapper and others who keep pushing this, this really hateful character assassination effort that somehow the President of the United States was embracing neo-Nazis. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said, he has a Jewish daughter, a Jewish son-in-law, Jewish grandchildren. He's been the, the greatest friend as a president that Israel has ever seen. And they keep pushing this. Because they can't run on the truth. They can't run on Biden's record, and they can't run on Trump's actual record. So they keep pushing the big lie. And it's horrendous. It's outrageous. Go ahead. In the early 30s. Ah, not- shut up, you idiot. You don't know anything about the early 30s. You're busy voting for citizenship. For the president of the Confederacy. Busy working with segregationist senators. Trump never did any of that. Ever. You have to hear about this? He's a liar. He's always been a liar. 
but he's also an idiot. Here he is at the roundtable. They write his notes out for him. I think they probably put it all in caps and bold, probably 36 font. So there's like three sentences on every card, and he still can't get it right. But hate, he memorizes. Cut three, go. You know, the rapidly rising uh, um, uh, in with, uh, hmm. with uh, I don't know, uh, uh, his, his just inability to focus on. All right, on- thanks a lot. Uh, thanks. Thank you. Very Churchillian of you. He doesn't know the difference between the Declaration and the Constitution. Cut four, go. They have to change. It's not simply not right. It's not fair. The Constitution says all men and women are created equal. The question is, are they treated equally? They are not treated equally. Hmm. I thought that was the Declaration. It's so embarrassing. He's such an idiot. Now he says, no, I'm not going to defund the police departments. I want you to listen, America. I want you to listen. Because he just said it. On the Daily Show last night. Joe Biden. Cut five, go. I don't believe police should be defunded, but I think the conditions should be placed upon them where departments are having to take significant reforms relating mm-hmm. to the, We should set up a national use of force standard. If they don't sign on... Right, let, 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 let's just stop. Why would we have a national use of force standard? You have different areas of the country with different threats, with different levels of violence, different types of crime. You have North Dakota, and then you have the inner city. And all inner cities aren't the same, and all rural areas aren't the same. So why would we have a national standard use of force issued by the federal government? What would that achieve? Does that mean a a bad cop will suddenly be a good cop? No, that just means you have another charge you can bring against them. It doesn't solve anything. He has no solutions. So he's got to go to his, you know, Trump is a Nazi stuff. And then they say, how can Trump unite us? They never say, how can Biden unite us? Well, how can Biden unite us? He can't. He won't. The left and the Democrats, whether in the media, academia, or elsewhere, they thrive on Americans having their hands around each other's throats. That's how it works. That's what systemic racism is all about, that phrase. It's amazing. They control the federal government for God knows how long. They control these cities for God knows how long. And they act like they're the outsiders bringing in reforms. When they're not. They're the status quo. They're the status quo. So he'll defund the police department if the police department doesn't do what he tells them to do. Joe Biden. Joe Biden doesn't even know where to find the toilet paper to wipe his you-know-what. But he'll tell the cops what to do. It's appalling. (sighs) Nancy Pelosi. She woke up one day and said, wait a minute, we have 11 statues in Statuary Hall in Congress of uh, Confederate officers. We must remove them immediately. Well, what happened to before when you had the Senate? No, 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 it's today. Today's the day. We must bring unity. 
Her hypocrisy knows no bounds, and she has never challenged on it. That's the nature of the Praetorian Guard, Democrat Party media, the enemy of the people. The friends of the Democrats on the left and Antifa and Black Lives Matter, but the enemy of the people. Cut nine, go. The American people know these names have to go. These names are white supremacists that uh, said terrible things about our country. This is like over 100 years after World War II. Some of these names... Is it me or does it sound like she's swallowing her dentures? They have to go, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this is, this, the point of this is educational, actually, not just to mock a moron, which is easy enough. Why isn't she criticized? For her lack of interest, her lack of foresight, her lack of action on these monuments throughout her 30-year career, but only now. If we are to apply the history of the 17 and 1800s to, to modern day, why aren't we applying the history of last week to today? Now, the history of last week is Nancy Pelosi never said a damn thing about these 11 Confederate statues. Not one damn thing. She never took a step. Not one step when they controlled the entire Congress and the presidency, the Democrats, to address these monuments. Not once. We don't have to look at ancient history. We don't have to look at distant American history. I can look at last week. Nothing. But now, now, she's a civil rights leader. She's taken a knee. She's wearing African garb. When she's not at home with her freezer with her 14 types of ice cream at her Napa vineyard, she's down for the struggle. Go ahead. Given to these bases. And they, they... Now the names of the bases. Never said a word. These bases have been around a long time. They've been around a long time. The first time when she was Speaker, when Obama and Biden controlled the executive branch for eight years, when Clinton controlled the executive branch for eight years, around a long time. When John Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson controlled the executive, long time. When the Democrats controlled the House for over 40 years, been around a long time. When Robert Byrd, the former Klansman, was the majority leader in the Senate. We're supposed to believe, you see, she's serious. People of color, minorities, liberal whites, media. She's a real leader. We can unite around her, right? Can we unite around her? Look, if the modern Democrats want to ban the old-time Democrats, that's fine by me. You know, as a side note, and unfortunately, I even saw it in the Washington Examiner, there is this effort to rewrite history that the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, really had nothing to do with the Democrat Party. And I've been saying that the Democrat Party gave it its birth. The Klan was an integral part of the Democrat Party. Did they have their fights? Of course they did. But the Klan existed to defeat Republicans and to kill blacks, particularly if they were going to vote Republican. It was about politics first and foremost, and it became very violent. 
And they're trying to rewrite history. You won't see the Klan supporting Republican candidates. You won't see the Klan trying to defeat Democrats in the 1860s and 1880s and 1890s and early part of the last century. I mean, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he relied on Hugo Black, who was a lawyer for the Klan in Alabama, and put him on the Supreme Court, his first appointment. We're supposed to ignore all that, supposed to ignore it. But I won't allow it. But the Associated Press said, I don't care what the Associated Press said. I don't care what the New York Times says. We've learned a long time ago, these aren't news organizations. They're propaganda outfits. So there's Pelosi now. Anybody ask her, well, where have you been, Nancy? You've been around here decade after decade after decade. You've been walking past these statues left and right. Where have you been? You don't like the names of these ships? Where have you been, Nancy? You control the budget in the House. You can make it contingent on. But you didn't. You didn't. Now you have. Why? She's the worst of the worst. She's an opportunist, an exploiter, like so many of these frauds are. I'll be right back. I said the other day, and I'll say it again. The greatest irony here, as statues are torn down by vigilantes... As movies are pulled, as books are burned figuratively, as the censorship takes place, as college professors are fired and administrators are fired and, and the purge is on, what survives? The name Democrat Party. The party of the Confederacy, the party of slavery, the party of segregation. Well, Mark, we... The party has changed. It doesn't matter. It's in the DNA of the Democrat Party. It cannot reform itself. That's the nature of systemic racism. And yet, who are most of these people going to vote for? Democrats. What are most of these people? Democrats. The biggest fraud there is. And if you're not, and you're an African American like Tim Scott, you know, some people will say you're a token. Well, some people will say a lot of stuff. Craig Melvin, why didn't you have an intelligent discussion with Senator Tim Scott? Rather than saying, you know, some people on the internet say. That's the game. That's how it's played. Do you, uh, do you know what we do at Levin TV and the Blaze TV network? We give you intelligent content you won't see anywhere else. I have to tell you, I really enjoy doing Levin TV. I have a blast. I'm in charge, hook, line, and sinker, beginning to end. There are no commercials. There are no executives telling me what to do. Indeed, I'm the founder of Levin TV. And so the whole purpose is to create the biggest town hall meeting several times a week between you and me. And now we've expanded it to the network. We've, have, we've combined the conservative review TV of the past with 
Blaze TV and bringing in all the strongest elements, have heavily capitalized it, and have outstanding hosts. We need you to join us. We cannot rely on big media any longer. We just cannot. It's intelligent, it's substantive, and it's patriotic. The various hosts have different styles, different content, different approaches, as you would expect. But one thing we have in common is we love the country, and we also love the truth. And you deserve that kind of smart programming. But we can only produce it, you know, if you continue to participate. Or if we can get more people to participate who are in a position to do so. And you've got Father's Day coming up, and now's the perfect time. So, I'd like you to go to levintv.com, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com, enter promo code LEVIN, again, L-E-V-I-N. You'll get 30 bucks off your annual subscription. So that drives it down from $99 to $69. That's a big, big cut. It's just over $5 a month. You can't even get a Happy Meal anymore for $5, given the price of meat. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? They're like 7 or 8 bucks. So that's just over $5 for the entire month for the most amazing shows and programming that will uplift you. That will tell you about the strengths of the American people. That's Levin TV, promo code Levin, Levin TV, promo code L-E-V-I-N. In the next hour, I want to talk to you about LeBron James. I told you, maybe one day I'll do a sports show, but I doubt any of these sports networks would ever hire me because I'm not left-wing. I'm not down for the revolution. I'm not up for the revolution. I revere our country. Because LeBron James really is fully out of the closet now. He wants to form a voting rights group. Who are they going to vote for? Has LeBron James ever voted for Republicans for President of the United States? U.S. Senate? Congress? You see, they'll take the left, white, black, indifferent, whatever the profession, whatever the walk of life. They only take the revolution so far, you see. They only take it so far. They would never remove a Democrat mayor. They would never remove a Democrat governor. They would never vote for a Republican for president. There's a vast majority of them, with a few exceptions, perhaps. But that's the, the general attitude about this. So what is this really all about? Trashing the country and electing Democrats. Pretty much. No new ideas whatsoever about how to help these various communities. None. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. LeBron James is the, uh, the greatest basketball player who's still active. I think Michael Jordan is the greatest perhaps ever. Although I'm an old Wilt Chamberlain fan, but it doesn't matter. LeBron James is certainly the richest basketball player ever. Um, And you can see the various estates and mansions he has. He has a very expensive uh, classic car collection and on and on and on, which is perfectly fine. As I say, I don't begrudge anybody that. Oprah's worth $2.6 billion. She's down for the revolution. Uh, You've got George Soros out there hanging around. He's worth tens of billions of dollars. He's down for the revolution and on and on and on. Very wealthy people. But obviously the system is failing. I'm sorry, am I allowed to point out the hypocrisy or is that, is that a, a problem? See, the issue isn't white privilege, it's privilege. However you come to it. But let's, let's move on. In uh, 2015... Forbes points out, LeBron James signed a lifetime endorsement deal with Nike, likely to pay him $1 billion by the time he's 64 years old. They say the unprecedented deal shows LeBron has become much more than just a basketball player. The man from Akron has become an economic miracle. Wait a minute. He's an economic miracle? In a systemically racist society? This is why this is such a lie, but okay, fine. God bless him. Now Nike produces most, if not all, of its shoes in communist China. Maybe some other places, mostly overseas. But in communist China, it's crucial. You know, we used to be concerned if uh, products that came into America were produced by little kids in sweatshops. Apparently that doesn't matter anymore when it comes to sneakers and athletics. This communist regime in China is a genocidal regime. It has rounded up over 2 million Muslims, Uyghurs, and put them in concentration and death camps. It goes through the country and destroys its churches. It is destroying the Tibetan culture. It tolerates absolutely no criticism of the regime. People disappear off the streets. They have a, a special system in place where they grade their citizens as to their loyalty to the Communist Party. China is the enemy of America. That doesn't seem to bother LeBron or Nike or many other people with interests in China who've gotten very, very wealthy off this genocidal regime. It's building up its military to take on the United States. It is a grave threat to the United States. It's threatening India. It's threatening Vietnam. And it's threatening other countries in the Far East, the Pacific. It is trying to take control of the South China Sea, which is uh, international waters in order to prevent some $6 trillion of of trade through the the navigation of that that, uh, body of water. 
It has, through the coronavirus, a number of African governments are very upset. They've been treated in a viciously racist way by the Chinese regime. And I can go on and on and on. It's a bad, bad government. LeBron James never criticizes that government. He criticizes our government. Why is that? Because being down for the revolution is an inch deep. It's easy to attack our country from within. If you're famous, if you're iconic, enormously wealthy, you can say pretty much whatever you want. You can trash pretty much whomever you want. You can have your feet on both sides of the fence. Doesn't matter. You can be complete another hypocrite. Live out in the most expensive areas, mostly with white people, while talking about systemic racism. Sending your kids to schools, mostly with white kids, talking about systemic racism. The cops protect you, keep the fans from you. They protect your stadium. And it's not just him. I'm just using him as an example. Meanwhile, the cops are systemically racist. You can have it both ways. You can have it all ways. And you won't be criticized. Because to criticize you is to invite attacks. I don't care. I'm attacked for everything. It doesn't matter to me. I speak as we say, truth to power. So in 2015, LeBron James signs this unbelievable deal. And he signs all kinds of deals. There's only one deal for, for up, upwards of a billion dollars. He's got many deals. So LeBron James, truthfully, is worth particularly when you look at it from an actual aerial perspective, multi-billions of dollars as a basketball player who markets things like sneakers, mostly made in communist China. Now, just to remind you, back in October, a gentleman by the name of Daryl Morey, and Daryl Morey is a, uh, a basketball executive, And uh, he and many people are concerned about what Red China is doing to the free people of Hong Kong. It is brutalizing them. It is arresting these young people who seek to retain their liberty. The communist regime was putting in place a law that would require anybody who violates Red China, mainland China's laws, will be brought to the mainland from Hong Kong to stand trial. In other words, they'll go to prison the rest of their lives probably be tortured and even killed. Since then, Hong Kong has been even under a more withering attack by China. Their legislature, which is controlled by the communist Chinese, has basically just voted their autonomy out the window in violation of an agreement they signed with the British. Freedom is being smothered by the communist regime. I don't hear LeBron James criticizing the communist regime in China. And you might say, well, Mark, what does that have to do with LeBron James? Everything. Because when Daryl Morey tweeted out on October 4th, 2019, simple words of support for the people of Hong Kong, which were, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. 
Seven words. I mean, that should be the, the banner. That should be the slogan of any people who are seriously being threatened and having their liberty assaulted. Don't you think? Fight for freedom. Stand with Hong Kong. Well, LeBron James got very upset about that, being the civil rights leader and all. Because China had been opening more and more to the National Basketball Association. The NBA was going to play games or additional games there. They saw a market. My God, 1.4 billion people. Can you imagine the amount of money? It's not enough that I get billions. Now we can get tens of billions. So capitalism, after all, isn't so bad, is it? Or is it? LeBron James was very upset. So he did, what did he do? He goes to Twitter and he, and he gives a statement. Now, of course, whatever he tweets is not controversial. Whatever Donald Trump tweets is the end of society as we know it. But not, not LeBron. We all hang on his every tweet. Don't you? But LeBron James became very angry. Not at the communist regime, the genocidal regime. Not at what they're doing to the free people of Hong Kong. But at Daryl Morey, who dared to tweet, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Why? Because it threatened the NBA's relationship with this genocidal communist regime. And it threatened LeBron James's pocketbook. Because Nike, which has a deal with LeBron James, manufactures most, if not all, of its sneakers in China. So LeBron wasn't down for that revolution. No way. It might actually affect him directly. And so here's what he says in a condescending, arrogant, unprincipled and immoral way in response to Daryl Morey, who had the guts to tweet what he did, and then was beaten down by the NBA, beaten down by LeBron James, beaten down by other players who are concerned about civil liberties, don't you know? And by the way, we're not talking about something that took place 200 years ago now. We're talking about something that's taking place today. Now. Right now. Here's what he said. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. About this freedom of speech, yes, we all do have freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications for the negative that can happen um, when you're not thinking about others. You only, you only think about yourself. So um, I don't believe, uh, I don't want to get into a, a word, a, a word or sentence uh, feud with Daryl, uh, with Daryl uh, Moray, but I believe he wasn't educated on on, on the situation at hand, and um, and he spoke, and uh, so many people uh, could have been harmed. Not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, so just be careful what we, what we tweet and we say and what we do, even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be um, a lot of negative that comes with that too. Now, he didn't say that about any of the rioting taking place in the United States over the last week to 10 days. Nope. Be careful what you tweet. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you say. We have freedom of speech, but there can be negative outcomes as a result of that could affect you 
financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Wow. That's not what he's saying now about our country. And we haven't rounded up two million Muslims. And we're not going into churches and yanking down any statues or or likenesses of Jesus. And we're not whiting out the Tibetans. Wow. We all talk about this freedom of speech, he says. Yes, we all do have freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications for the negative that can happen when you're not thinking about others. Daryl Morey was thinking about others, but you see, he wasn't thinking about LeBron James's billion-dollar contract with Nike or the NBA's potential massive financial benefit by having games in China. That's what he means. And yet Daryl Morey was thinking about the people in Hong Kong. LeBron James could care less. Now, he circled back later and tried to take a few steps back, but it was, as Shannon Sharp said, uh, unacceptable. Not enough when it comes to Drew Brees. I don't want to get into a word or sentence view with Daryl Morey, he says, but I believe he wasn't educated on the situation at hand. So it's a put down. But he was educated in the situation at hand. And he spoke as so many people could have been harmed. Who? The NBA and NBA players and LeBron. That's who. Not only financially, but physically. Well, who would have been harmed physically? Emotionally, spiritually. So just be careful what we tweet and what we say and what we do. Even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be a lot of negatives that come with that too. Now, you're not allowed to criticize LeBron James if you're a sportscaster, a retired athlete, or an active athlete. You're just not allowed to. So you have to leave it to me. And I'm not criticizing him as a human being. I'm criticizing him as a class A hypocrite. You may even say a fake. Now LeBron James has announced. Maybe he tweeted. They're going to form a voting rights group. Quote, the NBA superstar LeBron James and a group of other prominent black athletes and entertainers. Why just black athletes and entertainers? Why not a diverse group? But anyway, aimed at protecting African-Americans' voting rights, seizing on the widespread fury against racial injustice that has fueled worldwide protests to amplify their voices in this fall's presidential election. Now, you see, this kind of says it all. I told you even before I heard from James and the rest, that I heard at a lot of the end of these speeches, it's go out and vote. And a lot of Democrat politicians and operatives are involved in these various protests and so forth. And then you saw Pelosi and Schumer, they wouldn't even acknowledge the rioting. Then they tell you most of it's peaceful. Because in many ways, it's a get-out-the-vote drive. A get-out-the-vote drive. Seems to me, you see all this rioting going on, you see all this injustice going on, and you're going to say, I'm going to create a voting rights group? Well, who are they going to vote for in Minneapolis? They're Democrats. Who are they going to vote for in Minnesota? They're Democrats. Who are they going to vote for in New York? Get out the vote drive to do what? To defeat Donald Trump and elect Joe Biden. That's what LeBron James is talking about. 
I told you about Joe Biden. I told you about his votes to give citizenships to the president of the Confederacy, to the leading general of the Confederacy. No problem. He's made the most racist comments over his career, and even in recent, no problem. Quote, because of everything that's going on, people are finally starting to listen to us. Not too arrogant there. We feel like we're finally getting a foot in the door, he says in a phone interview. How long is up to us? We don't know, but we feel like we're getting some ears and some attention, and this is the time for us to finally make a difference. How are you going to finally make a difference, LeBron? Oh, vote Democrat. And Democrat controls that, and we're going to make a difference. All right, I'll continue in a moment. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. So, LeBron James, and he's one of many, not just in sports, not just in African-American, but one of many who talk about fundamental change. Now's the time. Oprah talks about it. These coaches talk about it. These Hollywood folks, the, the Democrats, they, they have no intention of serious fundamental change. The same party, the same leadership, get out to vote, stop Trump, defeat the Republicans, no fundamental transformation in these communities, no school choice, no enterprise zones, nothing of the sort, same old, same old. That's what they stand for. These are not revolutionaries. These are wealthy Democrats who say the same thing decade after decade after decade. Now he's going to form a voting rights group to get out the Democrat vote. You're getting out Democrat vote in Democrat cities and Democrat states? No, he wants to get out the Democrat vote to elect Joe Biden. We'll see if we can help a candidate here and there, Mr. James says. Yeah, right. Sure they will. Just... Just exposing this for what it is, a fraud. Most of this operation is a fraud. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. This is Liberty's 911 Hotline. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. The Democrat Party cannot bring real, substantive, even revolutionary change to the inner cities. What I call a liberty agenda. Because they don't believe in it. They believe in socialism. They believe in subsidies. They believe in failing centralized school systems. They reject any serious reform, change, individual liberty. So this so-called resistance movement is no resistance movement. LeBron James is going to form a voting group that's going to elect Democrats or radical left-wing Democrats who run most of these cities and run them into the ground. That's no leader, in my humble opinion. He's not alone. He's just the, one of the most prominent. Not doing anything different whatsoever. Nothing. It's not going to change a damn thing. The Democrats already run these cities. The radical Democrats already run these cities. I also heard him say that he, in a tweet, somebody showed me that... Uh, he questions whether voting is uh, not systemically racist because in the, in the black neighborhoods, the lines go on four hours, three hours, and, and in the wealthier neighborhoods, not so. Well, I hope as part of this voting group, he becomes informed about how this works because the counties ultimately control the voting mechanisms, the number of precincts they're going to have. And in these counties, they're run by Democrats. In many cases, with significant minority uh, contribution or their counties that are majority minority. But the Republicans don't run these counties. So as he said about Moray, he really needs to inform himself and educate himself. If there's voting problems in counties because of long lines or machine problems or, or they don't have the appropriate personnel manning the precincts, that's on the county. That's not on the systemically racist society. I'm tired of talking about it and him, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, unemployment prior to this Wuhan, China virus across the country was at record lows really for every category of racial group, genitalia, what have you. And in the African-American communities, it was the lowest in recorded history, over half a century. That's how you create prosperity. 
slashing taxes, creating enterprise zones, getting capital into communities. And there's so many other ways to do this. In other words, bring the liberty that other communities and Americans enjoy into the inner city. Break through the teachers' union. Break through the bureaucracy. Break through the crony politics and the nepotism. But it's extremely difficult. And LeBron James's answer is, elect more Democrats. Trump gets no credit. Of course, the virus was a punch in the stomach to everybody. No credit for what he's been trying to do in the inner city. It's, it's really quite awful. The opportunism that takes place. It's really quite awful. Back to Joe Biden. This is important. Or I wouldn't play it because God knows he's monotonous. I want you to listen to what this man says about the election. Cut 13, go. But as we saw in Georgia just yesterday, if those people's votes aren't counted and if those people don't See, this, get the See, this, this is what destroys our country. Your vote's not counted. Because Stacey Abrams lost by over 50,000 votes. You see, only when Democrats lose is their improper voting. When Republicans lose, it's a big lie. They can't prove it. There's no evidence. Stacey Abrams lost, and she lost big. Wasn't a couple hundred votes. Wasn't a couple thousand. Wasn't ten. It was over 50,000 votes. And yet, listen to how these myths become reality. Go ahead. And your entire campaign may be moot. So what is the plan up until November to make sure that people can vote, to make sure that everyone, whether it's Republican or Democrat, black or white, has... Is somebody having a problem voting? We have early voting. Many states have mail-in voting, absentee ballot voting. You can actually show up and vote. That would be nice for a change. What, what's the problem? Somebody can't vote? Another big lie. Go ahead opportunity to vote without being in a line that's six hours long it's my greatest concern my single greatest concern this president's going to try to steal this election now listen to that the president's going to try and steal the election ladies and gentlemen this man's been elected many times and he knows how it works the president has no control over what goes on in precincts what's in a ballot box what's in a voting machine It's all controlled by local government and state governments. How is he going to steal the election? You see, the Democrats and the left, they're surrogates, some famous, some infamous. They frighten people, they upset people, but they're always trying to destroy our institutions. Always, always, always. The Electoral College needs to go because they lose. Now popular vote is a problem unless they win. Otherwise, Trump's trying to steal the election. Five months before the election. Trump couldn't prevent people from voting if he wanted to. He has no control over the process. It's not a federal process. It's not an executive branch process. Go ahead. This is the guy who said that all mail-in ballots are fraudulent. He didn't say all mail-in ballots are fraudulent. He said mail-in voting is susceptible to fraud. And of course he's right. 
it's not possible that all these mailed ballots go to the right person. It's not possible that all these mailed ballots even get to the right house. It's not possible. Mr. Producer said, look, I got a mail-in ballot at my old address and one at my new address. That's two votes if you're a crook. And this goes on all the time. And you can see the potential for fraud. It's even worse. By the time they're done counting because of the postmark on it, we may not know who the president is for a week. There may be legal challenges. It completely undermines the system. They say, go vote. Stand up. But whatever you do, don't go in person. Go ahead. Voting by mail. While he sits behind the desk in the Oval Office. and Oh, you jackass. You've been sitting on your ass in a basement day in and day out. What are you talking about? While he sits behind a desk. He's making a thousand decisions a day. You're deciding whether you want a tuna sandwich or a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Cut 14, Mr. Producer. Go. Do you worry then? Let me let me ask you this. And I know this is a strange question to ask an American politician, maybe easier around the world. But have you ever considered what would happen if the election results came out as you being the winner and Trump refused to leave? You see, this guy is a complete moron. It's a comedy channel. It's not funny. It's stupid. He refuses to leave. These are insane, deranged people. It was the Biden-Obama administration that would not accept the election of Donald Trump, that would not allow for the peaceful transition of power from one party to another, that sicked the FBI on candidate Trump, that violated, that violated the law when it came to a federal court, the FISA court, where they changed evidence, that used the criminal system to go after the president with an illegal appointment of a special counsel. And I could go on and on and on. And this jackass, Noah, whatever the hell his name is, is worried about Donald Trump. What if he doesn't leave? Go ahead. Yes, I have. I was so damn proud. You have four. Ah, shut up, moron. You've got nothing to be proud about. Nothing. I got to move on. I'm running out of time. There's something going on with our generals in this country, ladies and gentlemen. The head of the Joint Chiefs now has publicly stated in a speech that really wasn't appropriate for him to walk in Lafayette Park and follow the president to go in front of a burned-out church when he raised a Bible. No, 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 no. It shouldn't have been politicized that way. We have the Secretary of State who went, excuse me, the Secretary of Defense who's gone rogue. They had put out a statement that, no, we're not going to use regular military if the president says, pretty much that's what he says, even if it's needed to save our cities. So he, uh, he undermines the commander-in-chief. Then you have some ex-disgruntled generals, sort of like some of the generals that Lincoln had, who are trying to settle scores. You've got Mattis and Kelly, uh, who have disgraced themselves, in my view. And these things don't happen by accident. This is a very close circle. There aren't a lot of three, four-star generals, you know. They didn't say a damn thing about the Constitution, as I've said over and over when it came to their, their uh, a colleague, Michael Flynn. Nothing. 
They didn't object when, uh, certainly not publicly, when the commander-in-chief before this commander-in-chief was eviscerating the military and using the military for social experiments. They're okay with that. What they didn't like about Trump, though, is when he doesn't want to use the military in all the ways and on the, on the occasions that these generals want. Now, whether they agree with him or disagree with him, that's the president's call. But now we have Miley, the head of the Joint Chiefs. We have the Secretary of Defense. And there's no concern, they say they're concerned about the Constitution, no concern about the effects this has on the Constitution. That the military and ex-military and the civilian put in charge of the military have all, in their own way, undermined the commander-in-chief. I've never seen anything like this before. No, not because Trump is a danger to the Constitution. Not because Trump wants to open fire on American citizens. Because he doesn't want to do any of those things, and he hasn't done any of those things. And so now the military is thrown in with the resistance. Not the regular military, not the men and women of the military, not our veterans, not our National Guard, not our regular military, but these ex-generals, the head of the Joint Chiefs, and the Secretary of Defense are thrown in with the resistance. Have you ever seen anything like this, Mr. Producer? And should the President, God willing, get re-elected, he needs to fire all their asses, every damn one of them. Not to have yes-men, but to have generals who understand their place. Who understand their place. And apparently these generals, Miley, and the Secretary of Defense do not. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I promise tomorrow I'm going to take some calls. I understand. I've been uh, not derelict. I just have too much, you know, to, to go over to provide to the nation. But I, I will definitely take more calls because that's very important to me, the interaction. And uh, we'll see how Jonestown out there in Seattle goes. Look, I, I have a different view of this, Mr. Bill. I think we take crime tape, wrap it around the six blocks and say, go at it. And use it as a perfect experiment of where we'll all be should they win and we lose. They'll starve to death. They won't have a pot to piss in. I say put out all the cameras. Let's watch. Let's make it a national experiment. 
I have no problem. Just put crime tape around it. They have to stay there. If you have young children and you want them to know the truth about police officers, that's what our police, my dad's last book, is all about. You can go on Amazon.com. It's heavily discounted. There's more coming there, so we have uh, enough of a stock. Uh, go to Our Police, Amazon.com. We also have it on Mark Levin Show, Facebook Mark Levin Show, Twitter. If you want to learn more about Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, again, for young people, but young adults too, it is there as well. Malice Toward None, which my father also illustrated. Malice Toward None, that is almost also on Amazon.com. And then finally... By the way, if you can't afford any of this, please don't take it personally. I understand. I just want to get the word out there in as many ways as I can. I want to defend our police officers who are outstanding human beings. I want to get Lincoln's message out there. And then finally, I want the, the most important exposition of the modern American media that's been written on freedom of the press to be in the hands of as many people as possible. And with Father's Day coming up, if your father or grandfather, your husband or your brother or son doesn't have it, Now's the time, or you for that matter, because we need to arm ourselves with information, particularly about the media. So that is available to you as well. It is tremendous discount on Amazon, unfreedom of the press. Plenty to study, plenty to read. Importantly, plenty to pass around. Once you've read one of these books, give it to a neighbor, lend it to them. Lend it to a friend, lend it to a family member. Spread the word. Spread the word. We don't need anybody to tell us how to think. We can think for ourselves. So spread the word and hang tough. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, our police officers, our firefighters, and our emergency personnel. And I want to thank all of you, people who love your country, people who work hard, people who pay your taxes. I want to thank all of you for being there and in my audience. I am greatly, greatly blessed, and I know it. And happy birthday, Dad. See you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.